Hello and welcome back to Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. I'm Emma. I'm Tash. And I'm Becky. Hello. Hello. How are you gorgeous girls? Good, thanks. How are you? Marvellous. Becky? Yeah, I'm fine. Great. Yeah, I'm just looking at you both on the screen, admiring your beauty. Oh, stop <laughs> it. Stop it. Big old flirt. I actually can't see either of you. All right. I went to the opticians this week. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> turns out I'm blind as well. <laughs> Welcome to the club, babes. Welcome to yeah. the club. Do you know what? It's a funny thing because... I was talking to my cousin before I went that morning and I was like, oh, I'm really tempted to just pretend I can't see so that I can get glasses. You weirdo. (laughs) Turns out I didn't need to pretend and uh, I actually can't see. (laughs) Cool. Can't wait to see. We will post pictures when she receives her spectacles. Sexy Tash. Becky, you said you had an email done in. Yes. So this is an email and the title of it is, (laughs) I (laughs) think. This is an email sent into our email address, which is. (laughs) Um, So the subject of the email is, I think a ghost just moved into our house. Oh, don't like that title already. I mean, I do. I do. Did he bring his bags with him? His little ghost luggage. (laughs) (laughs) He came on a little ghost train. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Right, so... I'm excited. The first time it made itself known was when I was washing the dishes. I heard my husband whisper, Psst, can you turn off the lights from the other room? I asked why, and he just whispered again, Can you turn off the lights? It was weird, but I figured as he was just in the shower a few minutes ago, he probably just forgot a towel or something and wanted to sort of like shimmy by the window (laughs) without being seen. Don't the lights make it worse if it's off? Uh, If it's on, if it's nighttime, you can see in from outside, whereas if they're off, you can't. Oh. Yeah. Did Becky just have to explain how lights work, (laughs) Tash? No, but isn't there... I can't ever remember which way round it is. It's the, it's the way round that I just explained. So it's fine. You don't know how lights work. Which way they work. She Leave knows me how, She does... Don't, don't. She knows how it works. You know how it works, Tash. It's fine. You're tired. No, when it's when it's nighttime outside and there's lights on inside, it's easy to see in. Whereas if the lights are off inside, it's harder to see in. Okay. okay. So Thank that's why he asked to turn the light off so he could run across the hall without a tower on, without scaring the neighbours. That's what she thinks. Or is that what actually happened? Well, this is what she's thinking's happened. So he's done it before. He's very forgetful for getting the towel. Okay. So he'll he'll normally do a funny little run into the room, saying stuff that makes me laugh, which is exactly what I was imagining <laughs> him to do. So I turned off the light and I waited for his response, but he didn't answer. 
I walked over to where I heard him whisper from, but there was no one there. And when I walked towards the bathroom, I could hear the shower still running. So there's no way that he could have sneaked back into the bathroom because I would have seen or heard the door open. And I asked him about it and said that he's been in the shower the whole time. He hadn't spoken to me at all. So ever since that day, I've been seeing a man out of the corner of my eye. Nope. Standing in the dining room. Absolutely not. And the storage room as well, that's connected to the dining room. No, no, no. He'll be standing off to the side in the corner, just out of her line of vision. But when she would try and look directly towards him, he'd just disappear. When I walk through the dining room, he'll teleport to the storage room and stand in the doorway as I pass by it. I thought I was being paranoid over that thing using my husband's voice to get me to turn off the lights. Yeah, no, you weren't. You weren't being paranoid. Yeah. Oh, no, she didn't turn off the lights. And she says says that she didn't turn off the lights, by the way. But my mother-in-law saw him too. I haven't told anyone what I've been seeing. One day when we we were in the living room, so her and her mother-in-law, she asked if there was anyone else in the house. And when she said no, she got scared and said that she'd seen a shadow on the dining room table as if someone had walked by it. And then she'd seen a silhouette of a man walk by the storage room door. I have insomnia, so lots of times my husband is asleep while I'm on my phone or just tossing and turning. We have a white noise machine across the room by my bedroom door. I'm laying in bed on my phone with my back towards the door. The noise of the sound machine gets distorted as if something's blocking it, like standing in front of it. Weird but then it goes back to normal. Then I feel like someone's in the room and the noise gets distorted again. I can feel someone staring at me. The noise machine then goes back to normal and then I'm facing away from it, staring at my husband, who's blissfully asleep. That's so fucking annoying. You just look at him like, how dare you sleep? So I look at my husband and the sound gets distorted again. The air feels thick and I can sense someone is standing right behind me. I pretend I that like everything that. is fine, and I don't know why, but I do. I put my phone under my pillow and close my eyes like I'm falling asleep. It feels like someone's leaning over me, but I'm still oh, pretending fuck. I'm asleep. No! Yeah. I feel disoriented because of the way the sound machine sounds and how thick the air is. My husband moves and wakes up a little. Instantly, the sound machine goes back to normal. The room feels normal again. That's all that's happened so far, with this ghost at least. (laughs) I think that's enough. Yeah, well, yeah, it's horrible. Hopefully he chills out because it was hard enough to sleep before and now I've got to worry about some creepy thing staring at me too much. Oh, God. Thanks for reading. I have another ghost story that I've been trying to send but I'm shit at writing, so it's still in my drafts. I know Emma will love it because the ghost used to... (laughs) I know Emma will love it because the ghost loved to peep and scurry. (laughs) Oh, no. I'm well excited for that. You went proper French. You went... (laughs) 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 Scurry, scurry. Oignon. (laughs) Sacré bleu. (laughs) (laughs) i'm super excited to get that email please send it but also i know it's gonna like terrify me for weeks 
Yeah. But just send it. That's what we're here for, you know. Talk about scary yeah. shit that terrifies us. And they've also said, if you guys still have that free background still available that they'd love once, I'll send that after the, we've recorded today. Boom, yeah. And you guys should totally have Australian Tom back at least sometime soon because he's hilarious. So, yeah, we'll have to get Australian Tom. I was thinking about it the other day. We need Austra- a bit of, bit of, what are we missing? An Australian, Australian Tom sometimes. Tom. I keep trying and he keeps saying, I'm tired or I've got to get up early or just or lame excuses. So lame. <laughs> lame. Tom, watch him come crawling in when we make it big time and we're earning all yeah, the big yeah. bucks. Oh, I wonder if he'll, he will he scurry back hey, and he peep will. us. He <laughs> He'll be a peeping Tom. G'day, mate. That's what he'll be. <laughs> <laughs> peeping and scurrying. I'll try and get him back. Yeah, come on, Tom. Don't be a loser. Snoozy lose. Get on this podcast. So who was that from? Do we know? Oh, yeah, sorry. It was from Mac. Mac's written in before, so oh, thank you very thank much. thank Mac. Thank and they've also put much. a little heart at the end. I'm all for emojis and little hearts at the Aww. end of emails. So please love it. Thank you so much. I'm very confused, Mac. And you're going to have to clear this up for me because I assumed Mac was a boy. Oh, I hope I haven't misgendered them throughout the whole reading of my email. If I have done, I do apologize. Yeah, really, really sorry. And yeah, let, definitely let me know because I'll, I'll correct that. Yeah. But that's terrifying. You know those memes where you see like what happens when you're asleep and there's this terrifying thing just peering over you. That's what I had in my head when you were telling that story. And I don't like it. You've done it. Everyone's had it where, well, maybe not everyone, but I think I've definitely, I know you know what that feeling's like anyway when you've got your eyes closed. I've got them stuttering all over the place. When you've got your eyes closed, that feeling that someone's watching you and you just can't. Yeah. Like Max said, the air goes all thick and you can't, you don't open your eyes. <laughs> no. Ooh, horrible. And they were so casual. They were like proper casual throughout. They were just like, yeah, yeah. this happened. I'll just slide my it. phone under the pillow and pretend I'm asleep. Yeah. <laughs> play possum. I'm just going to play possum. Yeah, that'll work. I'm sure the husband will save me in some way, even though they're blissfully asleep. I would have been screaming. But anyway, thanks, Mac. And yes, please, we want peeping and scurrying. We love a bit of that. But do we? We love it, but we hate it. But we love it. So did Mac also get the song right, Bex? No, I've got a a song. uh, It's for next week, though, for the song that we recorded that's just gone out. So we'll do it next week. That's the suggestion that I had. Tash, do you want to tell everybody what it was, my love? Ring a ring a roses, a pocket full of poses, a tissue, a tissue, we all fall down dead. Thank Why you. Why did you have to make it so creepy? Yeah, you sang it like um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> I have. Cindy, Ruth, Rochelle, Carabeth, and Nicole, who got that one right. I have Sebastian and Carly. Well done, Sebastian. And Carly. Bravo. Bravo. Mm, Bravissimo. Uh, 
convince me to start. I'm listening. Go then. <laughs> do you know what I'm going to do? Have a poo. <laughs> no. Um, tell us a ghost story. I am going to tell you a ghost story, but I'm starting another series. Whoop, whoop, whoop. We will have a series. Yeah, it's going to be quite a long series, so hold on to your hats, people. We are going to talk about the Becker family haunting. Buckle in. Ooh. In July of 1970, Edwin Becker was panicking. He had driven to give his landlady the cheque for this month's rent and proudly announced that his wife, Marcia, was expecting a baby. The response from his landlady was not quite what he expected. So you'll be moving then? she asked. No children are allowed in my apartments. Edwin left not knowing where they would go or what they were going to do. He began searching the classifieds, but anything that looked remotely good said, no children allowed. Okay. That pisses me off no end. But apparently in the 70s, this was really common, very legal. So that's just how it was. I tell you what also pisses me off is people not allowing children but not allowing pets. My children have 100% ruined a house more than my dog ever will. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just those people that that don't look after their animals or children and that are complete pigs that give the like the bad rep for everyone else. So poor Edwin, he's now panicking. He and his wife had been married three years, but had almost no savings, so buying a house that needed a 20% down payment was impossible. They felt hopeless. That is, until Edwin saw an advertisement for an heir estate, which plainly meant that someone had died and that the family members were liquidating the property. This could be their chance to buy something affordable, So he contacted the real estate agent who said they were having an open house and that he was welcome to come and take a look. Edwin jumped at the opportunity, but went to visit the property alone as Marsha was feeling ill from the pregnancy. I would love to spend a day going to open houses, but you know, like, really, really... I'd love it so much. Like, nice. What, just having a nose? but like, you know, like amazing houses. Love it. That'd be so fun. Well, pretend that you're rich, that you could afford yeah. them and be like, Daddy, buy this for me. I'd be there with my um, with my glasses on. That would make me look rich. <laughs> uh, Is that yes. what you think when you see me wearing my specs? Yeah. Oh, she's got money. I think she's rich. Yeah. So much money it took her eyesight from her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I was rich, though, logically, I would have had laser eye surgery. This is true. And become poor again. (laughs) (laughs) Right, back to Edwin. He's going to visit this house. It's a large house. It has two separate flats inside. Edwin thought it would be perfect as they could live in one, rent out the other, and that would help pay the mortgage. Fabulous idea. Investment. And hopefully the building would gain in value over a few years and they could move somewhere nicer. That was his plan anyway. The house itself was nothing special. In fact, it looked quite gloomy. It was dark and foreboding looking. Not helped that it was completely shadowed by a huge elm tree. Compared to the other buildings, it certainly didn't stand out. Just a rectangular box with windows on each side. 
The real estate agent was sat on the front porch looking defeated. He welcomed Edwin with great enthusiasm, probably realising that the 24-year-old who stood in front of him knew absolutely nothing about buying a house. Let's check out the second floor first, he said. There's still a family member living on the first floor and she's crazy so don't pay any attention to her. As they started up the stairs, the door to the first apartment creaked open and a dirty old lady stood glaring at them both. She was holding a poodle in her arms who was equally as filthy. She seemed to emanate evil. She began screaming at the men, You sons of bitches, get out! What are you doing here? Get out! Fucking hell, she went in, didn't she? She wasn't fucking about. Edwin was shocked and didn't know how to respond, but the agent must have dealt with her before and shouted back at her, Myra, get your ass back in there and shut up, you hear me? That's not very respectful, is it? It's not very professional. Get your ass back in there. (laughs) (laughs) I know she's been an old crony, but I think he's been dealing with her for quite some time. And it was in America. The property has been on the market for a while. This is in America, yeah. Yeah, and America's like... I don't know, the bad language, then they don't tend to like it a lot of the time. Especially in a professional setting. Oh, he'd, he was at his wit's end. He'd had enough. <laughs> <laughs> she did so, but they could still hear her swearing and cursing at them from behind the door. <gasps> don't worry about her, said the agent. If you do buy the place, she'll be gone by then. She'll be dead. <laughs> I think that she was being put in a home or something, I don't know. They continued up the dark, uninviting stairs and visited the apartment. Edwin was shocked by how dilapidated it looked. It was furnished but looked like it had been vandalised. Everything was extremely old-fashioned and dirty. The layout, much like the building itself, was very simple and unimpressive. Three main rooms, kitchen, living room and dining room, which each led to a tiny bedroom. A small closet near the entrance, a pantry near to the kitchen and a small bathroom. They left via the back porch. Overhead was the attic hatch. There's nothing up there to see, said the agent. I mean, that to me is instantly suspicious. Why don't you want me to look in the attic? Oh yeah. Also, just don't bring it up. Do people automatically look in at it? Well, I think Edwin must have been looking at it. I think you stick your head up there and just make sure there's no leaks on the roof mainly mm, see what's so. up there well there was nothing to see nothing to see here <laughs> grandma's probably got a lot of poodles up there <laughs> they continued the visit by taking the back stairs down to the basement they were met with a moldy smell mixed with coal and burning wood so much so that edwin had to inspect the stove that was there to make sure nothing was on fire But when he opened it, it was clear it hadn't been used in years. He found this odd, but didn't think anything of it. There was three rooms that had been sectioned off. One was padlocked. Suspish. Mm. One was clean. And one was obviously where the coal used to be kept as it was full of soot. They then went to the first floor apartment where Myra lived. They were met with the same profanity as before. But the agent at this point, obviously annoyed at being called a son of a bitch, said, Shut the fuck up, Myra. Edwin almost found it funny hearing the two squabble while he looked around the apartment. It was very similar to the one upstairs, except one of the bedrooms seemed weirdly cold for a hot July day. 
but if anything, Edwin thought this was nice and ignored the goosebumps the room gave him. Just like saving on aircon, I suppose. Yeah, true. They left and wandered around the garden and looked into the shed that was full of junk. The agents started saying things like, it has real potential, a bit of work could make it lovely, trying to close the deal. What he didn't know is that Edwin was already sold. Sorry, what is he sold on? <laughs> I think the he's sold cheapness. on the fact that he can afford it. Yes. Yeah. Crazy, crazy man. Yeah. He can afford it and there's possibly, he can possibly rent a bit of it out. Baby on the way. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. And so the pair left for the estate agent's office, signed a contract and that was that. This is why you don't send men by themselves to look at a house. Yes. Edwin had bought his first property, only saying that he wanted Myra out by the time that they moved in. He had chosen to ignore the strange wood fire smell that came from nowhere, the crazy, abusive lady downstairs, the cold spots and the eagerness of the agent to close the deal, and the fact that the property had been on the market for so long. Decisions I'm sure he later came to regret. The closing date was set for November 12th. The family had asked if Myra could stay on for an additional 90 days. And Edwin and Marsha, Marsha's his wife, agreed, but only if she paid rent for all three months up front. That seems fair. Yeah, they agreed straight away and handed over the money. However, when Edwin asked if he could start redecorating before closing, they all flatly refused. He couldn't understand it. Why would they say no? Worst case scenario, the sale fell through and it had been redecorated for free. But still, they would not budge. It was only later on that he realised why. They didn't want him on the property before closing the sale because he would have found out about the haunting and backed out. On closing day, each heir arrived with their own attorney and the tension was palpable. It was clear that this family hated each other. After an awkward signing, the house finally belonged to the Beckers and they were excited to start their new life there. Marsha had had the baby now. Christine Anne was born in October of 1970. Everything seemed to be going perfectly for the little family. They planned to move on December 1st, so Edwin began working, getting his brother Butch to help whenever he could. The first task he handled was changing all of the locks. Around 6pm, as he was just changing the locks to the front door, Myra trundled out, holding her poodle. They both were still just as dirty, and Myra was wearing the exact same clothes she had been when they first met. Gross. Yuck. What are you doing here, she screamed. You don't belong here. We don't want you here. We don't. Edwin remembered how the real estate agent had handled her and so he replied with, Get back in there. I own this building now and if you don't behave, I'll evict you. Myra started laughing hysterically. You own this building? You don't own this building. You can never own this building. She went back into her apartment but Edwin could still hear her laughing like a maniac, repeating over and over again, You can never own this building. Edwin, again, missed the fact that Myra used we in her sentence. He just assumed she meant her and the dirty poodle. He was wrong. Damn dirty dog. (laughs) I can imagine the dog, like, just in her arms, like, snarling as well as she's going, you son of a bitch, and this little poodle's just going, yeah, yeah, you are. (laughs) 
He continued to change the locks on the upstairs apartment. It was very dark inside. It was like the building blocked out any light. He worked with a flashlight, but felt slightly uneasy. He put this down to it being dark and cold and dreading another visit from Myra. He didn't even think of ghosts, as he simply just didn't believe in them. Once he had finished, he knocked on Myra's door to hand her the new key to the front door. She took it in total silence. He noticed she was in darkness in her apartment. No lights at all were lit. She shut the door without saying a word. Edwin left that night feeling hopeful for the future. He was now a landlord and soon his family would have the perfect home. As he was getting into his car, he was approached by a man from an antique shop asking if he could buy something from the property. Edwin agreed, but only if he took everything from the second floor. The man eagerly accepted, and so that was another problem solved. All the junk would soon be gone, and he could start redecorating ASAP. So that little old lady opened her door. She was in pitch black. She just stared at him, took the key, and shut the door, and just trundled back off into her pitch black apartment. Why is it so dark? Because she's fucking creepy. Mm. One sunny Saturday morning, Edwin had all his materials ready, so he collected Butch, his brother, and they both set to work repainting and wallpapering the apartment. Butch was painting in one of the bedrooms. Edwin could see him from where he was working and could tell that something was off. He was working at lightning speed and kept looking over his shoulder in the direction of an empty closet. After a while, Edwin went to ask what was up and Butch told him he felt like he was constantly being watched. Now, Butch had no knowledge of it being an air estate, because that would be admitting someone had died in this apartment, seems as Myra was downstairs and very much alive. He also didn't warn him about Myra. He didn't see any reason to worry his brother for nothing. So the feelings that Butch was having weren't provoked by an eerie story of the building's past owners. Edwin went and looked inside the closet empty, except one item that had been missed when everything was removed. A very old Ouija board, propped up in one corner. Edwin took it out, thinking that Butch had seen it, and that that was what was making him nervous. But no, Butch had no idea it was there. They both studied it. It was clearly old and had been used a lot. Edwin threw it out of the window onto the back porch. As I said before, he was not a believer, and to him the board was just a type of game that people used to scare themselves. His brother continued to work in the room and didn't admit how uncomfortable he was until years later when he confessed to being absolutely terrified in that room. Once he finished, he joined Edwin in another room and immediately relaxed. That is, until Myra let herself in. As she stood there staring at them both in the most terrifying manner, She began laughing hysterically. Butcher's face turned white. After all, he had no idea who this old hag was, nor what she was doing there. And just like that, she stopped laughing and burst into tears. She cried uncontrollably. Edwin walked towards her, turned her round and took her back downstairs. (laughs) He then explained, it's like, come on, dear, let's get you back. Let's get your curtains drawn. (laughs) <laughs> Go back into the darkness. <laughs> yes. Oh. Back into the darkness. There 
are seven dead soldiers in the walls. Nope, didn't hear that. He then explained to his brother that she was just crazy and would be gone in a few months. But still he felt they needed a break, so they went out for lunch. Upon their return, they decided to explore the basement again, as Edwin had remembered the padlocked room and was overcome with excitement at the idea of it holding a hidden treasure. He's crazy. I mean, to be fair, I'd be a bit like, open the locked room. Mm. Let's find all the bodies. (laughs) They got some tools and had it opened in no time. Sadly, though, there was no treasure inside. Just hundreds and hundreds of pornographic magazines. (laughs) (laughs) Found granddad's stash. Yeah. Dating back to the 30s all the way to more modern time when Playboy was available. Oh, vintage. (laughs) Yeah. With the magazines, they also found shoeboxes tucked under the shelves. When they opened them, they were full of either cartoons or photos of women that had been cut out of magazines or newspapers. Any time a woman or girl had any skin showing, someone had cut it out and put it in the padlocked wank bank. That is weird. Edwin tried to make a joke about it, but he knew that this room had definitely belonged to a sick pervert, and so did Butch. They looked around the rest of the basement. There was a couch and a stove, and then the other two rooms that were open... They found a silver plate in the coal shed and a jar with some bullets in on one of the beams. When leaving the basement, Edwin noticed that the outside door had once been equipped to be padlocked, meaning at some point someone was locked down there. It was becoming more and more apparent that Myra was definitely not the only crazy one in her family. Edwin wanted to know more about the building's history, but for now, he had no time. He had a lot of work to do getting his apartment ready for Marsha and the baby. Over the next few weekends, Edwin and Butch worked tirelessly to finish the apartment. Edwin did his best to lighten up the place, but try as he might, it always remained gloomy with shadowy spots. It was weird, but it was what it was. And so came the day of moving. Butch couldn't help that day, so Edwin asked his childhood friend George to help him. The only issue was that George was blind. He had come back from Vietnam, barely surviving as the soldier in front of him had walked on a mine. The blast had taken one of his eyes and had severely damaged the other. But after a lot of medical care and physical education and just a strong will to live, he had returned home. His family, however, treated him like an invalid, which annoyed him no end. Edwin did hesitate before asking as he knew it would infuriate George's family but he decided to ask anyway, as he knew George would love someone treating him normally for once. And also, he was more than capable of helping, so that was that. The moving day arrived and George was just as helpful as anyone else. Edwin would take the front side and lead the way. Marsha waited upstairs and put things away, and after a day of lifting stuff up the stairs, they were all moved in. Myra kept out of the way, only glaring through the window in disbelief that someone was moving into her family's building. Edwin did notice that George kept turning around suddenly and asking, Who's there? Blind people tend to have a sort of sixth sense. They are hyper aware of their surroundings. So Edwin just assumed that he was hearing things and reassured him that they were alone. 
he never actually realised that George only behaved this way when they were inside the building. The next day, as exhausted as he was, Edwin had to go to work. He started at 7am, so he had to get up at 5. Marsha got up an hour before, so bless Marsha, she's up at 4am. Yeah, what to make him breakfast? Yep. (laughs) She got his coffee ready and woke him up gently. But this is the 70s, so it's, you know, it is a little bit different. Yeah. He got up, had a cigarette, and then proceeded to run a bath as there wasn't a shower in the flat. He put the plug in and let the water run whilst he returned to the kitchen and finished his coffee and chatted with Marsha. When he returned to the bathroom, he couldn't believe that the plug had been taken out and wrapped around the tap. So it was one of those plugs on a chain, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And so he sat in the bath and washed himself quickly with lukewarm water as they had run out of hot. He then kissed Marsha goodbye and left for the day. He tried calling her throughout the day, but every time he tried, the tone was engaged. He couldn't understand how she could spend all day on the phone knowing that he would want to check on her and the baby. Ridiculous. Women love a telephone call. All day, though. Maybe not all day, but maybe every time he calls, she's on the phone to a different person. Yeah. There's Betty and her sister and then all these other people. Yeah. She's on the phone with all the time. He also began to panic as it would be extremely expensive to talk on the phone all day and they couldn't afford it. And so when he got home, he was fuming. When confronted about the telephone, Marsha denied having called anyone, saying she'd only just realised that the phone was off the hook. She hadn't been in the same room as the phone for most of the day, so she just hadn't seen it. Edwin was dubious. How did it take itself off the hook? I've no idea, replied Marsha. They continued to argue about the phone all evening. After dinner, Edwin took himself downstairs to the basement to start emptying all the junk. He was going for a wank. (laughs) Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Get a bit of the stash. So after dinner, he's gone downstairs and started emptying all the junk out of the basement so he can start to redo it, you know, do it up. He finished work at five, finished dinner around seven and would work on the house until ten. This became a daily routine for him. The day after, he took extra care to really push the plug in the bath, double checking before going to finish his coffee with Marsha. But you guessed it, when he returned to take his bath, it was empty, water running, but the plug had been removed and wrapped around the tap once more. He was absolutely puzzled about this, but not frightened. He just thought there must be a rational explanation and he would solve the mystery at some point. But until then, he decided not to tell anyone. Little did he know that his wife, Marsha, also had secrets of her own. And that is end of part one. (gasps) Oh, what a cliffhanger. I wonder what secrets she has in her closet. I'm looking forward to part two of this one. How many parts do you think there'll be? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm not satisfied with that answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, this week was just mainly like setting the scene. So we mm. had to meet everybody involved in the story and get a kind of feel for it, feel the, you know, the atmosphere and stuff. So this week wasn't too scary. Next week. Shit gets yeah. real. Ooh, I wonder if the plug thing is the reason why... The old lady is so dirty. Oh, yeah, because you can't take a bath. 
Yeah, they're like, just like, I keep trying, but they keep pulling the plug out and I can't afford the water, so I've just stopped washing altogether. <laughs> I think Myra's just mental. Yeah. Yeah. Mental Myra. Yeah. Myra the mental. Trailer? Trailer, yeah. trailer, trailer. Boom. Hey, you. Yes, you. Are you looking for a new podcast that appeals to your scientific curiosity? but is also a little bit spooky. Show me how I died in a past life. Well, look no further, because this cat is where it's at. He had concerns about the ethics surrounding AI, feeling they had achieved consciousness. Curious Cat Podcast examines the shadowy space where science and the supernatural collide. Listen every week with your host, Jennifer Holtz, as she and her guests explore what it means to be a soul in a meat suit. We were healing karma together. They were all kind of predestined to, to resolve something. Listen on all your favorite streaming apps and continue the conversation on Twitter at CuriousCatPodCA or find Jennifer and all her links at Jennifer L. Hotes, spelled H-O-T-E-S dot com. Right, Becky Boo. Yes. Have you got a little murder tale for us? Yeah, I do. So, oh, did you hear about the English family in France that have been shot by their neighbour? Yes. I didn't. that? Horrible. It's in Brittany. So a a British family with two girls, two little girls, 11-year-old and an 8-year-old. Jesus. uh, living in a very tiny, weeny little hamlet in Brittany. And poor people, um, they had a neighbour moved in like three years ago. They'd lived there for a while. And this neighbour moved in three years ago and it was a Dutch couple. And they'd had like a conflict over some land or something. So they didn't like each other. And then last week it was really hot. So the British family were having a barbecue in their garden and their... The little girls were both on the swings and that obviously took the guy over the edge and he came out and shot them all through the hedge with a shotgun. So the seven-year-old wasn't, no, the eight-year-old wasn't hit and she ran to another neighbor's house. But unfortunately, her sister was was killed instantly and the parents are in intensive care. I think the dad's in intensive care and the mum's not been too badly injured, but she's still been shot. He just um, shut himself in his house and then eventually came out and gave himself up. So, yeah, you don't get a lot of that in France. That's horrendous. What happened? Did he just go nuts? I think he didn't like the fact that a family lived next door to him and they had kids. You know that kids make noises when they're in the garden, but they were happy. They were on the swing. So that's like a nice noise when they're on the swing. And he just went mental and shot them all through the hedge. That's horrendous. So I don't know if there's some dementia in there or mental illness or whether he's just an absolute, just an evil person. Scary, isn't it? But they they were both arrested, him and his wife, so. Oh, the wife as well? The wife as well, so I don't know how heavily she was involved in it or whether it was just like a procedure that they arrested her as well, so. God. 
I think it's maybe because they were locked in, he locked himself in the house and neither of them came out for like yeah. three hours. So, yeah. So it's very sad. That and along with um, a couple of days before a man going around stabbing toddlers in pushchairs. Fuck yeah. what? In France? Yeah. Where have he been? Yeah. <laughs> it was in, An- is it Annecy or Annecy? Yeah. A man, Annecy. Um, Annecy, 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 yeah. Annecy. Yeah. It was like a 20 to 10 in the morning. He was running around stabbing children. He stabbed about, was it four or five children and a couple of adults? Yeah, it's quite a lot, isn't it? What the fuck for? I don't know. They've got him though. He's in custody, so. Did the, were the kids okay? Well, the, none of them have died. They haven't. So far. No. Oh. Oh, the last time I looked, none of them had. So I, I saw don't something know, on but... the news yesterday, and there was definitely people laying flowers, but I don't know whether it was like. Yeah, I saw people laying flowers as well, but last I heard, no one's actually died. But then oh, again, okay. I, I could be completely wrong there. So, but yeah, actually went and stabbed three year olds. Yeah, Gotta awful. be fucking sick and twisted. Yeah, all the bigger kids are in school, so it's only the little ones that are out. Yeah, so and terrible. I don't watch the news for this very reason. Mm. Yeah, well, I don't tend to like watching yeah, the news. Yeah, well, I don't but, put it on very often. I don't know why I had it on, to be honest. Mine was on, I think it was Facebook, it popped up on there. Um, I'll get on with my story today. Um... So my story is about a woman called Alison Bother. So I don't know if that rings a bell, Emma Schmemmer. Uh No, it doesn't, I don't think. Oh, it, it probably will do as, as we get through. Okay. Alison was born on the 22nd of September 1967 in Port Elizabeth in South Africa. Her parents divorced when she was 10 years old and Alison spent most of her childhood living with her mother and brother. In her early years, Alison led a fairly normal life. She served as head girl at the high school for girls in Port Elizabeth. When she finished her education, she spent a few years travelling, and then after she returned home, she found a job as an insurance broker, which she really enjoyed. The night of the 18th of December 1994 seemed like an ordinary night. At least at first, she'd spent the perfect summer day at the beach with her friends. Then Alison drove her and her friends back to their apartment for pizza and games. Then after most of the group left, Alison drove her last friend home and picked up her laundry that she'd done at her house earlier and then started on her way home. So Alison drove back to her apartment And when she got there, because it was quite late at that point, her usual parking spot had been taken. So she had to park a lot further down the street. And so she pulls over and then turns off her vehicle and then turns to get her laundry ready to get out of the car. And then all of a sudden she felt a knife against her throat. So someone had put it through the the open window. Oh, God. And she heard a man's voice say, move over or I'll kill you. So terrified, she just moves over from the driver's seat onto the other side. Whenever I go anywhere that's remotely built up, so like more than just like the village I live in, 
I'm terrified this is going to happen to me. Yeah, I always lock the doors. I think about it all the time, especially if there's loads of traffic and you're like sat in traffic. Yeah, I always lock the doors. If I'm if it's night time, if I'm on my own, or if I'm on my own with the kids or somewhere a little bit, I usually just lock my doors yeah, the so minute we're in the car. But this was through the window anyway. True that, yeah. Yeah. She moves over and he gets in the vehicle and starts the car up. So they start driving around. He tries to reassure her and says that he doesn't want to hurt her, but he really needs to borrow a car for about an hour. And he says that he was desperate. So he said his name was Clinton. And he started asking questions like, do you have a boyfriend? And Weird. just trying to be kind of chill and nice. Yeah. Trying to make small talk after he's small just... Small talk, yeah, her. after he's just basically carjacked her. Then he starts pulling over and she's thinking, right, well, okay, it's, it's over now. He's finished with the car. But actually he pulls over and another man gets in the vehicle in the back seat behind Alison. Oh, shit. Oh, God. So if ever... I don't know, you're going on a date, whatever, whatever, and someone picks you up and someone, and they've left you the passenger, you know, like the passenger front seat and there's someone sat in the back behind you. That's really suspicious because apparently that's just the perfect way to, um, well, grab you from someone. One at the side, someone at the back. Yeah, absolutely. So Alison, she started to calm down a little bit because the guy was really reassuring and like really chatty and, and that. But obviously she was still scared. But the minute this guy got in the back and she looked in the rear view mirror and could see him sat in the back, she just saw these dead eyes. Oh God. And she was like, that's when I was just absolute fear, sheer fear. And she was just stuck in a little position. You know, she couldn't move. Yeah. She was so scared. The men then started driving and they started going out of the city. So the minute they passed the last street light on the way out is when Alison's stomach just completely sank. Yeah, oh God, I bet. Yeah, she was absolutely frozen to her seat and knew something horrible was just about to happen to her. Bless her. Then after a while of driving, they pulled off the main road into like a alcove thing, so it was hidden. Then when they parked up, Clinton turned and asked Alison, are you going to fight? And Alison, stuck in the middle of nowhere, pitch black with two guys, was like, no. And she said, no, I don't know how to fight. And what was she going to do? You know? Yeah, exactly. What was she going to say? It wasn't going to be like, yeah, I'm actually, I know yeah. Taekwondo. She wasn't going to tell them that. Anyway. <laughs> So then Clinton forced Alison to perform sexual acts on him and then he did the same to her and then he raped her. Jesus. Then from, this is while his mate had got out of the car and was just like standing outside. While he was outside the car, the other man asked his friend if he was done yet, but he didn't say, hey Clinton, are you done yet? He said, called him Franz. So now Alison actually knows his real name. He isn't called Clinton. His real name is Franz. That's probably not a good thing to know in that position. No, I won't call Clinton Clinton anymore. I'll call him Franz because that's his real name. Okay. So Franz got out of the car and then his friend raped poor Alison too. What pieces of fucking shit. Horrible. She managed to catch the other man's name as well. It was Tians. 
So I think I've, I'm pronouncing that right. So I'm, I apologize if I'm not. They're pieces of shit. Who gives a toss if you pronounce their names right? Yeah. Uh, but once they were done, they tried to suffocate her. But when that was taking too long, they decided to stab her. So Franz got a knife and stabbed Alison in the abdomen around 37 times. Oh what my hell. good God. He was trying to cut her reproductive organs. Then once he was done, the other man saw Alison's leg twitch. I mean, it was just like a, a bodily reaction. Yeah, it wasn't muscle really her. twitch. Yeah. And he decided that to be safe, we'll cut her throat. So then he did. He started slashing at her throat. Until Franz stopped him and had another go. So she was slashed in the throat around 16 times. (gasps) Bloody hell. And completely severing her windpipe and actually nearly decapitating her. As the men finally stepped back, Alison heard them admiring their work. Speaking in Afrikaans, they said, Do you think she's dead? And one of their, their attackers said, No one can survive that. Jesus. Poor Hold on. woman. Is she not dead? She's not dead at the minute. Oh, that poor But she's completely like a mega huge Mess. neck wound and uh, well, been stabbed loads of times in her abdomen and a little bit in her chest as well. Bless her. So Alison was lying there on the floor and it was like a beachy kind of area. So it was all full of sand and people having barbecues there. And so it's like almost like a little, you know, like an air in France, like a little... um. What's the word? Like a service station with no service station, just a little pullover bay. Yeah. A lay-by. A lay-by, that's the word. And it's all behind like a big hedge, so you can't see it from the road. Yeah. So Alison could hear the footsteps of her attackers leaving, leaving her there on the floor in silence. She could hear the gurgling, whistling sound of her severed windpipe. Oh, fucking hell. Yeah, this is pretty... This is horrendous. Yeah. And then she's slowly realizing what's happened. She said that uh, she had this overwhelming feeling of sadness as she felt that she left her body like, and she was going up and looking down on it and she could see herself. And she was looking at her injuries and seeing how horrific they were. And it dawned on her that she probably wasn't going to survive this and that she was dying. Then she stopped floating and she knew that this is the point that she had the choice. Is she going to try and survive or is she just going to leave, you know, leave her body and and go? And then that's when she suddenly felt very, very angry and thought, actually, no, I am going to survive this. So she kind of opened her, her eyes again and she was back in her body. And the first thing she wanted to do is just try and make sure that they never do this to anyone else again. So what she did in the sand next to her, she, she wrote Franz and Tians, hoping that that would be enough to help get them caught. She's a clever girl. And she also wrote, I love you, mum, which is, oh, uh, it really got me when I was um, writing this out. So she tried to crawl, but couldn't do it. It was too awkward and she wasn't getting anywhere. So she knew she had to stand up. She tried to stand up, and as she was trying to, you know, like bend her leg to pull herself up, she felt that someone was on top of her leg and was stopping her. It was heavy, and and she couldn't stand up. 
And so she looked down, and this is horrific. So if you don't want to hear this, fast forward 30 seconds. That's when she looked down and she saw that she'd actually been disemboweled and it was her intestines that were stopping her from getting up. They were on top of her leg. Oh, Jesus. They were actually all the way down to her ankles at some points. So she managed to find one of her items of her clothing that they'd left behind. She was naked on the floor and she managed to tie it around her waist and her abdomen to just try and keep everything in so that she can walk around to try and get help. She just needs to get up this little incline. And How is she alive? I don't know. And it gets worse. It's not finished. Yeah, so she's tied that around her, her waist to stop her intestines falling out. She managed... This is horrible. She manages to stand up. And when she does, everything went black. Not because she blacked out but because her neck was so damaged that it actually flopped backwards between her shoulder blades. And she's still alive at this point. So she's actually looking up at the ceiling, at the at this night sky. That's why it's black, because she's actually not looking at the direction of the road. She's looking straight up to oh, the sky. Oh, my God, this poor, poor woman. woman. If you'd have seen this, you'd have thought it was something out of a horror movie. Well, yeah, because that's it what doesn't I'm picturing. Sound survivable. So her head's like hanging on by what? Like all the front of it is has been severed, so it's just the back bit and the bone that's in. How has she not bled out though? At the minute, it hasn't touched her big veins, the big blood vessels or anything like the that. Arteries. The arteries. Arteries, that's the one. Oh, so the, the big, big veins. veins. <laughs> the big veins, the muscly veins, hasn't I mean, in your defence, they are big veins. They are big veins. They just get promoted to artery. If it had nicked an artery, she would have been dead within minutes, but it hadn't. But the whole front, I mean, like, the the windpipe is, is open. That's where she's breathing from at the minute. Yeah. So she reached over and pulled her head back into position and had to hold it there. But I suppose she's in shock. So she's just going on on adrenaline at this point. I don't think she would have been able to do any of this without that. Yeah. And she was angry at the fuckers for putting her in that position. So she wants to get them back. She manages to walk back to the road. And she says that it felt like someone else was moving her legs. She doesn't remember moving her legs to get up this. It was just as if she was floating up. Yeah. So she managed to get back to the road and collapsed into the in the, right on the line in the middle of this road. And she could see and hear a car coming. And she thought they might just run her over or it could be her attackers. Yeah. But the car pulled up and stopped beside her and then just drove off. But luckily, the next car that was coming was a young veterinary student called Tian Ellard. So another Tian? No, it's not spelt the same. Okay. Yeah, Tian. It could be Tian. I'm probably butchering the names. I'm really sorry. The nice guy that stopped. Alison calls him the, her, her knight in shining armour. He was actually in the area on holiday at the time. He lived in Johannesburg. So they were driving along and saw Alison lying in the middle of the road and they stopped. He would later say, God put me on that road for that night for a reason. 
Uh, he used his veterinary training to tuck Alison's exposed thyroid back inside her body. Oh my good God. Wow. Then, luckily, one of his friends that were in the car with him had a mobile phone, which weren't widely... Not everyone had a mobile phone in 1994. Yeah. Yeah. So it was quite new technology back then, and they managed to call emergency services for help. The hospital was about 15 or 20 minutes away, but the ambulance took 40 minutes to get there. Oh, Jesus. All this time, he was lying on the floor with her, just trying to aid her the much as he can and just keeping her awake. He did not want her to go to sleep. He was talking to her and she he, she was looking at him and she had these bloodshot eyes and he said, oh, your eyes are lovely and just trying to, just making conversation, trying to get her. He was like, no, you're too, you need to, you need to stay awake. You're lovely and you need to stay with me. Just, just anything, anything that came in his yeah. mind to, to keep her awake. Uh, he went in the ambulance with Alison and the paramedics. When they were in the ambulance, he was just telling the paramedics to drive faster. He felt that they'd had already given up on her because of the injuries that she had. Once at the hospital, Alison was rushed into the trauma unit, and that's when he let go of her hand for the first time since he had got there. Mm. So, lovely guy. What a sweetheart, yeah. Yeah. And to the first car that stopped fuck you because there was nothing that i could find said that they'd reported it anywhere else so i hope that is on their conscience you know because if they didn't have a mobile phone it makes sense that they'd rush off somewhere to call for help but they, but didn't, they, yeah. they didn't so assholes so this is where doctors were actually stunned by her horrific wounds many of them never seen anything like it in the whole time that they've been practicing. Well, no, I imagine it's not something you see every day, a disemboweled, almost decapitated woman who's still alive. Yeah. One of the doctors said, the injuries suffered by Alison and the sheer brutality, the ferociousness and the mindless destruction of human really, really got to me. And I saw a young lady with the most horrific wounds, especially to her neck. There was a laceration from ear to ear. Her windpipe had been cleanly cut through and she was breathing through a gaping hole just above her collarbone. She had been completely disemboweled with large loops of her bowel lying on top of her tummy. It was grossly contaminated with beach sand and lumps of charcoal and even lumps of what looked like lamb chop fat. So because people had been barbecuing there, they just kind of left their food on the floor. And that was all stuck to her intestines. Bloody hell. They were looking at the injuries and they thought they'd probably never have children. It was just all really, really damaged. They were very worried that they were going to lose her. So they got in one of the trauma surgeons, a Dr. Angeloff, he came in and had a look look at her as well. So she had multiple stab wounds in her chest, and it's a miracle that none of these penetrated to her lung or her heart. And then there were major incisions on her bowel itself, and it's a miracle that she didn't get a major infection from it. So they spent hours in surgery cleaning everything and getting rid of all the debris that was stuck to her and getting her all closed up. But she survived the surgery. So as a result of the horrific injuries to her throat, a tube had been inserted into her 
windpipe to aid her breathing while she recovers. Mm. So obviously police were called and they'd seen that she'd been, been raped as well. Police came over. She said that she knew her attacker's names. So she wrote down on a little booklet their names and said, this is what their names are and gave them a description. So was she able to talk at this point? Well, no, because she had the tube down her throat, so she couldn't, yeah, she couldn't. um, Yeah, I don't think they'd severed her vocal cords, though. But just while everything heals, she had to have this tube down her throat to help her breathe. Uh, So that's why she was had this little notebook. So once she gave them the names, one of the policemen recognised Franz from a a previous case that he'd worked. So they went out and brought a book filled with potential suspects. Mm. This was only hours after she woke up. And straight away, Alison picked out Franz Dutois and Tians Kruger as her assailants. She really, really wanted these off the street before they'd strike again. Yeah. Then she wrote out her statement, but the police said it'd be really good if she could at least verbalise the names as well, because they explained that in their experience, spoken words had more impact at judicial hearings than writings on a piece of paper. Alison absolutely agreed. She was like, yeah, get this out of me. I don't like it anyway. So the tube was removed. She smiled and said that it felt wonderful to be rid of that horrible tube. Yeah. Then she said the name of both men that had attacked her. And with that, detectives went out and looked for them and they managed to find them pretty quickly. Her family came in to see her as well and she was asleep when they came in. And then she kind of felt that someone was looking at her so she opened her eyes and her family were just stunned to see her eyes were just completely red all the blood vessels are broken in her eyes. Yeah. And um, they were just so happy to see her, but so horrified at the injuries that she'd received and survived. When people asked Alison to describe what her recovery was like, and she says that the word that she would use to describe it is pain. She's just remembers feeling pain all the time. A morning, yeah, night, she was just in so much pain. Alison would have some of the physical and mental scars from this remaining, obviously, for the rest of her life. On the documentary that I watched, you can barely see it. It's amazing how little you can see. I suppose she Mm. did have makeup on. Considering it was all completely open, it's amazing. They've done a really good job at putting her back together again. As it turns out, it wasn't the pair's first attack on women. They had raped two other women previously. The first lady who was raped by them took a week before she reported the case to police as she was threatened by them that they would kill her if she'd gone to the police. The second lady, who was pregnant at the time, didn't listen at all and she ran downstairs after the rape because it was in her apartment. She ran downstairs and straight into a police van and reported it straight away. So... They got done for that, but it was basically a slap on the wrist. They didn't really get anything for it. What the fuck? Yeah, they decided that the next attack, they would have to kill their victim because they'll, they'll, they will get in trouble if they're caught another time. Oh, yeah, so it's not like, oh, maybe we should stop. No, let's go to murder. 
I just don't understand how you have that conversation with a friend and decide that that's what you're going to do. Yeah. But who brings that up? Well, these two, apparently. Franz Dutrois was a 26-year-old husband and father with a criminal history that included violence attacks on women, so the two that I've just said. He had been accused of rape on multiple occasions, but he'd gotten off time and time again with a slap on the wrist, which may have something to do with the fact that his father was a police officer. I was just about to say my knowledge of sort of African police system and it's very very little but it's very corrupt isn't it yeah well from what I've heard as well but yeah it can be he also dabbled in a spot of satanism so he was into that he apparently dated a witch at one point so she was like yeah I'm a witch and he was like I love that so 19 year old Tians Kruger had a really bad upbringing actually he wasn't brought up he was dragged up it was an abusive household and his father was a career criminal etc and whilst franz had generally had success with women tions didn't neither his looks nor intellect were very you know appealing to women he was someone whom most women found pretty repulsive and stung by the constant rejection, he had grown to hate the opposite sex as much as he wanted them sexually. So he was basically an incel. But he was a shitty person. That's why most women were a bit like, ooh. And he was a shitty person and ugly. So I think, you know, well. And a murderer and a rapist. So what's to love? When they call Franz in to be interrogated by police regarding what happened to Alison... He had assumed that he was being questioned about murder because they'd found a body. But when he was informed that his victim had survived, he basically admitted everything. He realised that authorities had him dead to rights and he ended up handing over a ring caked in blood, which was identified to be in Alison's blood. The pair were subsequently dubbed the Ripper Rapists by the media and they were charged with kidnapping, raped, and attempted murder. Not long after being taken into custody, Franz announced that he was possessed by a demon and needed an exorcism. And surprisingly, his jailers arranged for a man of the cloth to perform the ritual. Whether it worked or not is unknown. And I just think he was trying to play the insanity card a little bit with that. Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah. And uh, the church actually sent someone out for once, so... <laughs> the trial began on the 12th of June, 1995. Before the day was over, one of the defence lawyers withdrew his services for ethical reasons. So when a defence lawyer's like, actually, I'm noping out of this, they must be pieces of absolute wank. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing what happened, who can blame them? As the defendants were led from court each day... Detective Melvin Humple, who had headed the investigation, refused to shackle them because he was hoping that they would try and run so he could beat them up or shoot them. <laughs> he just hated them so much. And he basically told them the set as such. He was like, if you run, I'm going to shoot you. So I'm not, I'm not going to shackle you for that reason so that you'd be tempted. The judge sentenced both of them to life in prison. 
So Alison soon began travelling around the world, telling her story in at least 35 countries. One of the first women from South Africa to speak publicly about rape in both her home country and abroad. She helped inspire other survivors to come forward and tell her stories as well. She's also written a book and she has a documentary about the attack, which is one of the ones that I watched for the notes for this uh, for this case today. And that's called Alison. And I think it came out in 2016. I think you can watch it on Prime, but it's not available in France. So possibly from your guys' countries. The veterinary student that helped Alison said that the whole ordeal had a big impact on his life. And it was basically what he needed to make a decision to decide what he was going to do for the rest of his life. And that was to become a doctor. So he's a doctor now. Bless him. Alison said, and this is a quote, the attack has put me on this path where I get to travel the world and help inspire other people. So yeah, Alison, well done, babes. What a fucking rock star. Yeah, Yeah. she's truly amazing, isn't she? I'm absolutely gobsmacked. How do you come back from that? She was nearly decapitated. and It's shocking. Yeah. The police officer I mentioned about earlier, the one that led the investigation, he died in uh, in 2020, bless him. But uh, Alison seems to be doing, well, as okay as she can be. And she's still inspiring many people with her story. Good. So yeah, I just think she's uh, amazing. amazing. She is. Amazing. She really, yeah. really is. And I hope those two men absolutely rot in hell. Yeah, but I haven't done a survival story for a while, so... Well, no, it it was a lovely story, but I just can't get over how horrific the whole thing was. I mean... Mm. Horrific, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. The fear, the pain, the... Ugh, just awful. How do you come back from that? And then she's doing world tours and giving talks and writing books. I mean, Jesus amazing oh yeah I'll, I'll just add this so she won in 1995 Alison won the prestigious Rotarian Paul Harris award for courage beyond the norm and Femina magazine's women of courage award and she was also honored as Port Elizabeth's citizen of the year and perhaps what she says the greatest gift of all is the fact that she did have two sons Oh, so my she God. is a mum. Even though Franz really tried, he didn't destroy her reproductive organs, and she actually That's is amazing. a mother. She managed to do that. So Absolutely brilliant. incredible. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. There we are. Thanks, Becky, so much. That was a great story. I mean, you know what I mean. Yeah. A great story of strength and survival and two pieces of shit. Yeah, Absolutely. I love the policeman though, like I'm not I'm not locking you up. So I'm hoping that you'll run so I get to kill you. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that a lawyer was like nope town. No. So he was like, no, I'm not defending these pieces of shit. Good. Yeah. Who's right. the song? Song. Hit you with the horror song for this week. And again, I would like lots of answers, please, because it's easy peasy. Lemon squeezy. The moon is rising. Tonight is the end. The hurricanes are here. So are the earthquakes and lightning. There's floods everywhere. 
We knew this was coming, but we ignored it, and now it's too late. Mother Nature is taking an eye for an eye, but none of us are prepared to die. I wouldn't leave your homes tonight, or she will take your life. And there you go. Well, thank you. Any ideas? No idea. Becky? From the first sentence, yes, but then I'm then I'm like, oh, I'm, I heard the rest and I wasn't so sure. Yeah, no. that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I will tell you after, so maybe maybe we'll see. Yeah, that works. All right, let's let the people go. Bye. <laughs> oh, just quickly, because somebody messaged me a few weeks ago now saying when we were accepting emails again. We're always accepting emails. It's a bit repetitive, always giving out our social media details and our email, but they are always in the description of the episodes and we want to hear from you all the time. We are yeah. always accepting emails, stories, song answers, anything. So, yeah, you can find all our social media details, all our contact details in the description of each episode. Yes. Knock yourselves out. Yeah, email away. Email away. Do it. Be a Mac. Yeah, be a Mac. Right. Thanks for listening, guys. Stay safe. Don't kill people. And keep it weird. Bye. Bye. She was holding a poodle in her arms who was equally oh, as filthy. I thought going to say she was holding a poo in her hands. She was you dirty really, really, and she was holding poo announced- in her arms. You, you enunciated that so strongly. Yeah. <laughs> and then she, she, like, her- and she was holding a poot. Poot. <laughs> 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 she was held. She was holding. Why are you reading it again? Sorry, we it was were really yeah, funny. You made it perfectly. You cut that out. She yeah. was ho- she was holding a poodle in her arms, who was equally as filthy. She seemed to emanate <laughs> evil. Did she? <laughs> what? What? No, <laughs> nothing. Be scared. It's scary. Okay. <laughs> You said the word poo. How are we going to concentrate on anything? You you do a podcast with two 12-year-old boys. What do you think? Poodle. Poodle. You, went, poodle. you said poodle. Uh, well, I'll listen back. I'm pretty sure I didn't. You're just <laughs> children. Yes, we are. <laughs> um, I Get the get the phlegm, get the phlegm out. <clears throat> Not cutting that out. A vision of beauty. I love every time I mention the word phlegm. Tash is just like, Ugh, hates it. <laughs> While we do like to be beside the seaside, that's exactly what I was thinking. Get out of my head. <laughs> you get out of my head. Oh, you two, <laughs> stop flirting. <laughs>